You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, there is no pain. He is receding. It's Jeff McLodge huge. <laughs> That's I'm not in any pain. I, I I do feel a little discomfort though, just a little. Yeah. Well, my hands kind of feel like a couple of balloons, which is oh. making it difficult to pick up the morning coffee. <laughs> What's going on? How are you? I'm all right. We're we're uh, right in the middle of like fake spring here, the New Hampshire end of the winter tunnel. I don't know if we're gonna get through it because we have been known to have a blizzard sort of creep up on us when we're not looking. Drop a hundred million feet of snow in the end of the spring. Yep. But uh, I'm starting to think about putting my deck back together and refilling my bird feeders and all the other stuff that kind of comes with that part of the year. Yeah, that's the the beauty of living in New England is that this this week is just like the the prick tease where yeah. it's it's like uh oh it's unseasonably warm we're gonna have a nice early spring and then I, I remember one year was it was April Fool's Day and we got like two feet of snow feet of snow yeah yeah we've got them on April Fool's Day we've got them on Easter we we've, we've got them we had yeah. I mean there are parts of New Hampshire that still get snow on, on Memorial Day. If you're far <laughs> enough north. No, I'm not even kidding. It's like, oh, really? What's your, what's your plans for cookout? Well, first I got to shovel out the, the grill. And then, uh, you know, we made it through a long and cold winter. So we got that going for us. I remember driving through uh, the first time I was first time. Nope. Sorry. Second time. Second time I drove cross country. We drove uh, like through Colorado and it was June. It was like literally like the first day of summer or, or you know, right around the uh, the. Is that solstice? Yeah, right around the solstice. You could still see on si- on the side of the road, there was like little bits of snow still that hadn't melted yet. Yeah. Depends where you are and, you know, how, how high your elevations are. Yep. No. Not, not not for me. No, thank you. The other thing, too, was like, in you know, we were in these really winding part of the, uh, what they call the million dollar highway, winding roads that go through the mountains and stuff like that. And there was no guardrails, which is just. I, I had to have my brother drive. I couldn't take it. I was like white knuckling and, and all that. Yeah, yeah, Because, yeah. I mean, you're literally like one, achoo, you know, uh, away from just going over the side. And I was, I'm, I'm a nervous driver when it comes to stuff like that. So my brother had right. to take over. And you ask yourself, why are there no guardrails? Because they're going to put the snow somewhere, you know, when the plows right. go through. Yeah. yeah. Nah, I'm all, I'm all about not doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nope. nope. Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful out there. Yep. Right. And they yes. can keep it. Yeah. Well. Right. yeah. I'll fly over in a plane. So we're good. Yeah. No, other than that, it's not much. Not much going on. Kids are getting antsy. You know, as per usual, so we're getting to the beginning of another season. But I want to get out there and start riding my bike. But I know I got at least another month to go. And it was just about a year ago whenever I bought my unicycle. So I want to get back out on that too. 
Right. We'll see how rusty I've gotten over the uh, over the winter month. I, I I'm actually curious to know if it's right. So if learning to ride a unicycle is like learning to ride a bicycle, and that you, once you're able to do it, your brain is like, nope, I got this. And as soon as you hop back on it or whatever you do to get onto a unicycle, you can balance and 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 pedal and not fall off. I am as interested as you are. <laughs> well, you'll have to report back yeah. on that first warm day. Yeah. My prediction is going to be it's going to take me about 10 minutes of trying to get my steel legs back. But once they're back, they're back. So, all right. All right. Uh, so this is going to be the show. This is going to be the week beginning March the 8th. But before we get started, as always, I go to trick you. I trick you with my, tri- my insanely difficult trivia questions. So uh, on land animals, okay, land animals, land animals which animal has the largest eyes? Can I ask a clarifying question? No. Yeah, of course. <laughs> All right. The largest eyes relative to the size of its body or just the largest physical eyes, period? Nope. If, like if you plucked out all sorts of eyes and just lined just them lined up, them all up, those big ass like, ones would belong to this. You'd be like, oh, those are the biggest yeah, ones. They must belong to this. Yeah. And went like from flea to elephant. It's I just lined them all up. Like in yep. a, in a big, okay. Uh, I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to think about this. All right. Yes. I don't know yet, but by the end of the show, I'll have something to suggest. Okay. You'll, you'll have that a good may guess. or may not be correct. I will right. have a guess. All right. So this is the week beginning March the 8th. Uh, I, I couldn't find anything for March the 8th. So we're going to have to have you start. <laughs> oh, gee, thanks. I couldn't find that much either. Okay. Uh, uh, March 8th, 1979. The f- first extraterrestrial volcano is discovered on Jupiter's moon of Io. And it's kind of cool because it changed the way that astronomy looked at the moons of s- Jupiter and Saturn, us mm-hmm. here on Earth. Uh, and no longer sort of like uh, sort of the George Lucas style, like the ice moon or the jungle moon. Now it was now it was like a dynamic moon that had forces acting on it that changed the landscape of the surface and may have created conditions where life could be found depending on what we define as life. So it's really kind of cool to uh, to think that something as close to us as Jupiter, which in relative terms is super close, is is this sort of dynamic system with weather patterns and volcanic activity and the atmospheric changes that come with it. It's really, really interesting stuff. So now I'm thinking, because uh, you know, you say volcano, and I, I, you know, I'm getting myself a mental picture here. When I think volcanoes, I always think of Hawaii. Now I know there's volcanoes everywhere. There's a volcano that you know historically did a really bad thing in uh, <laughs> in the upper northwest corner of the United States, there in Washington. What was that? Mount St. Helens, right? It's Mount St. Helens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mount St. Holy, <laughs> the side just blew off. Yeah. So, but whenever I think of volcanoes, I think of Hawaii. So I'm thinking that this Jupiter moon of Io is now vacation hotspot. <laughs> well, hotspot, yes, but vacation land, no. Maybe. Uh, we'll see. Well, it's funny because, like, th- this caused a lot of scrutiny of Jupiter's other moons. So you, you, can, you can see, like, Enceladus, what's a hard one to say. Uh, Enceladus has oceans on it that are covered by ice and... There are some others that have different characteristics based on the distance that they are from the surface of Jupiter. Mm-hmm. And all of them have this weird dynamism that makes them really interesting to study and, and could provide that weird bridge that we would need to go and explore space further. See, this George you Lucas, know? though, is like oceans covered in ice. Hoth. And now <laughs> ah, this one's got exactly. a volcano on it. Mustafar. Right. 
The whole planet. The whole planet <laughs> right, is just exactly. lava. Yep. It's, it's the whole planet. Like the, the whole planet is just lava. Exactly. Yeah. That's where. That's where we're gonna have it. We have the high ground. <laughs> the planet is lava. This is the, the, the hardest. the hardest game ever. There was actually a game show called "The Floor Is Lava." Yeah. I and saw. yeah, do you remember, do you remember what they gave away for their grand prize in the first season? No. They got lava <laughs> lava lamps. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So uh, because. Uh, because Io is the vacation hotspot, and pro- <laughs> and probably where uh, Princess Leia and Han Solo spent their honeymoon. Mm-hmm. Here's where you don't want to spend your honeymoon. <laughs> On March the 9th, right? March the 9th in 1562. Seems like just yesterday. yesterday. Yep. Uh, kissing in public is banned in Naples. Naples, Italy, not Naples, Florida. Well, yeah, Naples, Florida was pretty much at that point just crocodiles and alligators. Yeah, much like it is today. Um, <laughs> much like it is. <laughs> yep. So anyway, uh, when, if you were if you were in Naples, Italy, and it's 1562, and you're going to start making out or snogging, as the Brits like to say, you could be put to death. Oh. Yep. Eek. It was that's, banned in public. That's... Kissing was banned in public. Uh, I was probably worried about all that French influence that they had. Yeah, I don't know what the reason for this was. I don't know. I I'm don't... gonna. I'm gonna. Well, based on fifty, it being 1562, I'm gonna guess there was probably a plague running rampant at some point. Yeah. Or you know what? And, and and that this would be one of those like, hey, Tony, you don't want to get at the plague. <laughs> it's gonna make everybody sick. Yeah, I think you know what? I think you're right. Um, you know, over the last uh, year or so. Uh, a lot of us have learned a real lot about con- you know contagious diseases, <laughs> and a lot yes. of us, especially the woman that fills up the bread over at my uh, supermarket, are experts on uh-huh. uh, contagious diseases because for the past fifty-two weeks or so, she has been telling me everything there is to know about contagious diseases. Oh, I, th- I thought you were going to say she was an expert at kissing. So every no, time you no. went in for bread, she's like, come here, sweetie pie. <laughs> I'll give you some bread. Yeah. I'll give, you want a snog? <laughs> God. <laughs> I'll take my mask down for you. Oh, God, no. That, that, that's the, with that woman, it's been a blessing in disguise, the uh, the mask uh, wearing. But at any rate, um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that did the, yeah. that the kissing the, in public was banned because of the uh, the Black Death that uh, happened to be going around at the time. Yeah, hey, in the street, that's uh, okay. <laughs> Kiss, and uh, we're gonna put you on the stocks. <laughs> <laughs> ah, fifteen sixty two. How we how little we knew. Yep. Well, we'll just put a leech right on you. We'll take care of that exactly. business. Yeah. Well, Bring out your dead. Your whole family's going. Right. Yep. Working at a Renaissance fair, which that's not actually 1562. They kind of like mush up all that kind of era, medieval Renaissance. They kind of mush it all together just because. <laughs> and uh, But yeah, there's always the, uh, you know, the bring out your dead, the dead carts that go by once a day. It's pretty funny. Right, right, right. Right. Yeah. You, got, do you, got, you got people that like act as lepers and like. Yep bag and oh that's cool i think uh, yeah i think that was what I'll, I'll have to do this year if i happen to see people kissing and you know customers kissing in public i'll just like burn them burn them alive <laughs> get get them i don't know what the police are called in 1562 naples italy but get those guys <laughs> put them to death yep <laughs> all right so let's move on to the 10th right. 
All right, March 10th, 1997, the first piece of portable technology that really took off, the Palm Pilot, mm. is released. It was developed by a guy named Jeffrey Hawkins, and it took initially it took the place of uh, a little folder with a calendar in it called a Filofax, which was a and paper and pen yep. system that let you manage all your sort of business crap. And then there was a Palm Pilot where you could manage all your business crap in something that was about as big as a calculator, pocket calculator. So if you needed phone numbers or little notes or whatever. Yeah, I was a slave. I had a Palm Pilot. I had one of the first Palm Pilots. It was like yep. the green kind of LCD screen. With, yeah, with a uh, with a stylist, called a trio or something, right? Yeah, with a stylist. I mean, before that, you used to have those little things. I used to buy them to store phone numbers. Right. You know, I used to carry that in my pocket. You know, a digital digital phone number digital keeper. Phone book, yeah. Yeah, and uh, then I graduated up to the Palm Pilot, and like, oh, I was like a slave to that thing too, because I mean, you could like, it was the precursor to the smartphone. Yeah. You used to be able to download like really like simple games on it, but there was this one game on there that I used to play all the time called Dope Wars, where you used to <laughs> you used to like buy and sell drugs and you can nice. actually still find a version of that game. It's uh it's kind of notorious, but it was it was oddly addictive. You had 30, 30 days to uh do your business. Uh that notwithstanding. But like it's the Scarface branded Tamagotchis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But like any other kind of technology, uh, you know, they laugh at it and then they all want one, you know. But I, I actually didn't become a slave to mine until a little bit later. That was the first one you said came out in 1997. Yeah. Yeah, I think I got mine. It was like 2001, 2002. I was going to say, the thing, the thing that's kind of cool is like there was one that came before it. Apple had released this thing called the Newton, yep. right, which which had a stylus that you could write into. It was about as big as it was about as big as a Filofax. Okay. Which is like a six by nine notebook style. Right. Battery didn't last long and they were fantastically expensive. And they were plagued with some other problems too. Yep. And so they didn't they didn't they only sold them for a year and then they were done. They went to the scrap heap of history. Yep. Palm Pilot, on the other hand, took the stuff from that that worked. The ideas from that that worked, like the graffiti way to enter text. Yep. So it couldn't recognize letters specifically, but it could re- recognize drawn codes as letters. Yes, I remember that. And you could you could quickly sort of shorthand your way into storing stuff mm-hmm. um, and, and organization. And it did it super inexpensively comparatively to the Newton. The Newton was like a thousand bucks. Yeah, I think the and Palm the first, Pilots. The were first like, Palm Pilots were like two fifty to three hundred. Right, I remember spending about three hundred on. Well, I yeah. bought, well, I bought it used off somebody at work for like fifty bucks, and then I bought another one that was in color. Woohoo! You know, a couple of years later, and that was like three hundred dollars. But like everything that the Palm Pilot did, that I was all excited about, is like rolled over into what we now have as smartphones. You know? Yes, it started with the Blackberries. The Blackberries were the first ones to incorporate a lot of the features that were in the Palm Pilot into a telephone as well. Yep. Even if you couldn't use the 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 telephone and those features at the same time, at least in the first couple of versions of the Blackberry. Oh yeah, I remember that. But it, it sort of helped to define that personal technology. Now I have an iPhone something, and uh, that does more than the first like four computers I had could do if I combine them all into one monstrous Frankenstein of those four computers together. Yeah. That's, that's always something that amazes me. Like, um, you know, growing up watching technology evolve and stuff like that, where I have a memory card in my smartphone that holds, you know, 256 gigs. 
Right. So I have like all my, like every song I've ever listened to in my entire life is there. It's on it. And it's something that I could eat by accident. Like where did I, oh, shit. You know, <laughs> I was I was talking with my kids about the in 2000, I bought an iMac, a blueberry iMac. Yep. I bought it and it had eight gigs of memory on its hard drive. And I was like, this is monstrous. I'll never fill this with anything. Mm-hmm. And eight gigs like I sneeze eight gigs. Right. I fart eight gigs now. Well, you know, well, uh, I think Bill, Bill Gates, like famously accidentally had said that no one's ever going to need more than like 200, you know, 512 megs of RAM right. or something like that. Well, he's, he's also the person who didn't foresee his machine being used to like download just good ter- terabytes of pornography and, and, and stuff that's kept that's like much bigger than that. Like, but you can't crunch numbers. <laughs> you only need to crunch so many numbers. Like, I don't care about numbers. I'm looking for article redacted. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> It is none of your damn business what I'm looking for. All I know is that whenever, uh, you know, the conspiracy theorists are, like, ringing the alarms about, like, oh, I don't want to be tracked, and they're not going to inject me with microchips. And I'm like, I want to be injected with a microchip because I just want who's ever spying on me just to be like, oh, my God. Like, either bored out of his mind or just, like, shaking his head in disgust. <laughs> no, it's one of those, like, uh, you can see the guys that are like in the the customer service bank. That's got, it's going to be modeled like on a customer service bank or the phone yep. the phone bank, and they'll be sitting there and there'll be a, a card like a card up in the back. It says what's Bill doing, yep. and there'll be you know an, an apex down one side and across the bottom it's watching wrestling, yep, doing his podcast, watching even more wrestling, talking about wrestling with Jeff, mm-hmm. <laughs> preparing for the podcast buying a silver honda and it's like with dots in each square you know and whoever gets the most dots wins <laughs> they, they're gonna look up my search history and they're just gonna be like <laughs> how is this guy alive or why is he still looking for the ultimate warrior oh, he's he yeah. looked for that guy last week you know like no seriously like if you if you were to come over to my house and look at my youtube like recommended videos it's like 90 percent wrestling and then like five percent atheist videos and then the other five percent like Bikini Hall searches and stuff like that. <laughs> I live alone. <laughs> I live alone. He lives by himself. Palm pilots are the first ones that made it possible to sort of think, think about interacting with technology in that super duper personal way. Yep, they didn't have porn back then on Palm pilots. It was only a matter of time, though. All right, so uh, moving on to March the 11th. Oh, here's a bad day. Um, <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Uh, March 11th, 1958, an American B-47 accidentally (laughs) drops a nuclear bomb 15,000 feet onto a family home in Mars Bluff, South Carolina. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Oops. (laughs) Uh, Where were they going with this thing? They took off from Georgia and they were on their way to the UK. They were going to take this bomb to the UK. I guess the pilot was like couldn't get the locking pin or something on his his five point harness to lock so he reached up to pull himself up to get into a better position <laughs> and he released he released the bomb when he did that so he opened the bomb bay doors and dropped the bomb while trying to adjust the position of his of himself in his pilot's pilot seat literally saying like um, well, I don't know if he literally said it, but it's like, remember the fire out space nuts with, I said launch, I was not launch. Just thinking the you know? same thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
And all of a sudden, it's one of those like, well, I guess that not having my seatbelt fastened is the least of my problems right now. Yep. Uh, <laughs> as that bomb just... So, uh, because it hadn't, hadn't been pre-armed. Yep. So yeah, there were, uh, let's just make note that the bomb, <laughs> the bomb actually did not have the nuclear capsule attached to it. Yeah. Um, yes, they, it did, did they did have the foresight to not carry it loaded, but you know what they say, uh, with a nuclear bomb, always assume that it's loaded. Never point it directly at somebody. Uh, it created a crater about 75 feet across these four, these oh, poor man. people's house. Um, and it, it, uh, the guys, the, the family who received the bomb yeah. were, <laughs> were Walter and Effie. I don't know what their last names were, but they ended up getting a payout. They sued the government. They got paid out 50, 54,000 bucks <laughs> and that paid for their, paid for their house. Yeah. So that 54,000, boy, that's, uh, that's, uh, those were simpler times, weren't they? $54,000. Yep. That's all they got. Yeah. I mean, I know in, yeah, the, I know in, 19, of like in 1958 money, that's a lot of money. But still, yeah, it's like four hundred fifty thousand dollars today. That ain't that ain't that. jack or shit at that point. Right. Yeah, that's. I mean, now uh, the way uh, everybody sues everybody for everything and for the kind of right. money, you know. I just watched something on forensic files where there was like this house. I think it was in South Carolina that had some like water damage to it, and yep, yep. and they went to the insurance company and they were like, uh, you know, can we get this fixed? And they go, no, we have to do an investigation. And it the, right. took the insurance company so long that there was so much mold growing inside the house that they ended up having to demolish the house. Oh, my God. Right? Because it was, it was literally, like, going to be killing the family. That's how much mold there was. Oh, and then good. the insurance company, they tried suing the insurance company for $6 million, which was the, the, uh, the value of the home and the property. But the jury right. was like, no. You're going to get $32 million. Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Pain and suffering, right? Yeah. 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 So $54,000, uh, Ma and Joe, South Carolina, must be kicking themselves right in their, uh, their asses well, now. If it had been any other time in American history, yep. right, it would have it would have been like this, like, you know, boom, and then the house is gone. And everybody who was around, like, the, all the kids got injured, but they were playing away from the yep. house. They got hit with, like, debris and everything. And, and, and if it had been, like, within the last say 20 years, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been more than two days and they would have got a call like, I understand you are in possession of <laughs> nuclear weapon. Have you been paid by governments because we may be able to uh, arrange cleanup of mass for you? <laughs> like the episode of the young and- ones with bomb. <laughs> right. Yes! Not in that color. No, no. Nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on to the 12th. What do you got? 12th. I have... Uh, <laughs> 1969, Paul McCartney, undead, still. <laughs> Zombie extraordinaire. Marries Linda Eastman, uh, who he would be married to for the remainder of her life. Yes. His, like, real one great love. Also, <laughs> in, in a show of being poor guests, I'm sure George Harrison and his wife Patty were invited to the wedding and had planned to mm-hmm. go and were probably putting on their tuxedo and her in a pretty dress and getting ready to walk out when they were arrested for drug possession. <laughs> um, for what it's worth... 69 was the time that the, like the Stones got in trouble for drugs and the job Paul McCartney got in trouble and covered a couple of different places for drugs and and John Lennon got arrested for drugs and and they were British government was trying to like sort of encourage these folks to go live in another country where they wouldn't do this. So Harrison and his wife maintained that the drugs had been planted on them by the cops as a way to sort of encourage this exodus. Well, why wouldn't you at my wedding? I was in jail. <laughs> I couldn't couldn't get out. <laughs> I I asked I asked John 
to make me a cake with a foil in it. <laughs> and that's, I'm going to guess that was over in England. Yeah, it was. Because right around that same time, we, uh, over here in America, we were kind of going kind of cuckoo nuts. Bananas. Cuckoo yeah. bananas with the, 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 the war on drugs and all that. Uh, I know Nixon was real big against uh, against people doing drugs. <laughs> only be one year later when he appointed as we discussed in december that elvis presley would become a dangerous drugs law enforcement officer yep <laughs> well, thank you very much yep i'm gonna have to sample these we're gonna what do you have here we're gonna put the fox in charge of the head house over there <laughs> well, if, well if anybody can identify drugs it's it's, it's the king uh, now uh march 12th 1969 do you know if that was before or after uh, Paul, uh, Paul McCartney died. <laughs> oh, that was after. He, okay. used, he died in 1967. Remember, he blew his mind out in a car. Oh, he hadn't noticed that the lion... Oh, yeah, I th- yeah that's right. That's right. The, the rumors of his death started... Out a bit. Not, not the rumors. The truth <laughs> of his death uh, came out in 1969, but I think he actually died in 1966. There you go. Yeah. Uh, hilariously, um, just so you know, if we were to jump back a day and jump ahead in time an additional 30 years, mm-hmm. in, uh, in on March 11th of 1997, Paul McCartney, the body of Paul McCartney, was <laughs> knighted by Queen Elizabeth II. The carcass of Paul McCartney. Oh, so he so, became, oh, so that's when he became Sir Paul McCartney. Sir Billy Shears, yeah. Sir. I don't know why you're touching me with the sword lady. <laughs> Are you trying to kill me again? Yeah. <laughs> I can't be, I can't be killed with mortal weapons. <laughs> And then I'm sure Sir Ringo is there like, you've, you've got to shoot him in the head. You've got to shoot him in the head, you do. I, yeah, I can't do Ringo. You can do Ringo. Yeah, yeah. So moving on to the 13th. <laughs> always, <laughs> always a great, always a great punchline. Uh, March 13th, 1781. The planet known as Uranus is discovered by Sir, oh, another another Sir, look at that, knighted, Sir William Herschel. Uh, yeah. Yep, the first planet to be discovered by telescope. Yep, he thinks it's a comet, Yep, where it is and how bright it is, and he hadn't seen it before. And it turns out, it wasn't a comet. Right. It was Uranus. <laughs> Uranus is the seventh planet from the sun. It's classified yes. as an ice giant. It is the only planet whose name is derived from Greek mythology. Uh, right. Yep, but the the god is actually Oranus. Uh, it's like O U. It's the same as it's the same word basically. O U O U Uranus. Yeah, but uh, they were like, we can't really make a you know an endless supply of jokes out of that, so they just changed it over to Uranus. Oddly yeah. enough, and if you talk to people now, they call it Uranus. Oh, that's not the same. No, it's not, not the same. No. Oddly enough, a uh, Oddly. and they did this on purpose too. On March 13th, 1930s, 149 years later, uh, the discovery of dwarf planet Pluto is announced. It had actually been discovered from pictures taken earlier at Lowell Observatory. Well, yeah, Lowell Observatory. The Lowell Observatory in, uh, in Arizona. And Pluto is uh, is like the, a, a devil figure in, I think it's Roman mythology. Way, way the hell out there in the depths of uh, Roman, Roman hell. In the depths of Uranus. <laughs> Uh, depths of Uranus. Isn't that nice? Your your little cute little doggy there, Mickey Mouse's little dog, is named after the devil. Yep. Percival Lowell, which whom the uh, the observatory is actually named. March thirteenth is his birthday. Uh, he was it born is. in eighteen fifty five. So I think they just like, hey, we got this new planet, and they're like, dude, his birthday's coming up. Why don't uh, why don't we just sit on this for a couple of days? 
Well, there's a, there's another reason to do that too. Is like he he mathematically predicted that Pluto was out there. Uh-huh. He didn't have the ability to spot it because mm-hmm. they didn't have the technology when when he was when he was an astronomer yep. to see that far. So, so yep. And now, uh, I don't know, a couple of months ago, they had posted some really really. It's, okay, one of our satellites that we sent out there, you know, sent back some beautiful beautiful pictures, color you know, full color pictures of Pluto. Mm-hmm. You know, you see a picture of Uranus, it's like, okay, fine. You just did that with a computer. You did that with a computer. It looks like it just looks like a ball, you know, but right. the pictures of Pluto look absolutely beautiful and stunning. Pluto is gorgeous. It has water ice on its surface and the photos that were taken, I guess, were around 2018, maybe 2017, and it took that long for them to come back was around early 2018 before they were released. Yeah. Show that it has this sort of continental shelf that looks like a big heart. It's really, really, really amazing to uh, see and it's a dynamic planet it's with a dynamic atmosphere mm-hmm. as as they've spotted the changes in the in the surface uh ice that's another thing that's going to come up in my search history that's going to raise a lot of red flags it's like why is this guy looking up uranus so much <laughs> the hell's wrong with this guy <laughs> oh my god he's one of those <laughs> <laughs> all right and let's wrap up the week march 14th what do you got March for speaking of space, March fourteenth in twenty eighteen, uh, a NASA study where uh, identical twin astronauts Mark Kelly, who flew on the space shuttle, and Scott Kelly, who stayed on the International Space Station, they spent a year apart. With Scott Kelly staying on the space station for a year, what NASA found was that Scott Kelly was no longer an identical twin to Mark Kelly after a year in space with 7% of his genes had been altered by his time in zero G and exposure to radiation and other factors that are still mysterious. There is a market for this. <laughs> I mean, think about it. If you get like identical twins, that hate one another. I know a set of identical twins that don't talk. They absolutely do right. not like one another. And it's like, you know what? I got a way that you won't be identical to that son of a bitch anymore. <laughs> Right. Or or think of all the science fiction plots, right, where it's like, we found the body. We've got some DNA evidence left on the body. Where is, well, you know, who's our main suspect? Well, our main suspect is astronaut <laughs> John Gimbel. Yeah. Uh-oh, he's on the International Space Station. Yeah. And then by the time he comes back, they can't finger him with DNA samples because he's got g- different genetics. Yeah, oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. There's another market. It's like, I'm wanted for murder. How can I get out of this? Well, right. a year on the International Space Station ought to do the trick. <laughs> How much money you got? Right. It's going to take a while to get you up there. First, we have to start the training. Another that, That'll be the whole plot twist of, the, of a Forensic Files episodes. Records show he spent some time on the International Space Station. <laughs> And I, I gotta wonder what what's changed. Are like at some point the Scott Kelly and Mark Kelly come? You know, they fight. They finally release Scott Kelly from quarantine after coming down or whatever. And, and he sees his brother and they hug. And his brother's like, Ah, you just feel funny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it. Which is the one that was on the International Space Station, Scott? S- Scott, Scott Scott Kelly. Yeah, I know one thing that was definitely different. Whenever Scott came home, he was like a good inch or so taller than Mark, right. because. He had been out of the gravity well for so long right. that he was taller. You know, it like it hadn't compressed his, you know, they always say that you're, uh, you know, slightly taller when you wake up in the morning because your spine isn't compressed. That, that explains a lot. Yeah. So he his spine had not been compressed by gravity for a year. So, yeah, he was actually right. slightly taller whenever he came back, like a, an inch or so. I wonder if that would work for me. Like, I'm not coming down till I'm five foot nine. <laughs> 
You're gonna be up there for an awfully long time. Five foot nine. <laughs> Could put you in like a taffy stretcher, like a, the uh, <laughs> like a, send out more of them pizzas. <laughs> like uh, like they allude to in um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Right, right. Yeah, the taffy pole. Yeah. <laughs> Get on to the celebrity birthdays. All right. Uh, March the eighth. Drummer quote unquote from the monkeys mickey dolans born in 1945 yep still fit one of my favorite singers yeah i still go back and listen to the monkeys yeah big fan of the monkeys i i got to meet two of them i got to meet peter tork and i met mickey dolans whenever i met mickey dolans i (laughs) i kind of played a trick on him i said you know i have such great memories of waking up early on a you know a, a saturday morning and, you know, just just the sound of your voice alone. You have such great comedic timing. Just the sound of your voice alone just, you know, always brings a smile to my face. Yeah, I love the tick. And he just <laughs> and he busts out laughing because, I, like I said, I, I, I swerved him because uh, yeah. Mickey Dolenz did the voice for yeah, Arthur. The voice of Arthur. Yeah, yeah, on the first season of the of the Tick cartoon on Fox Kids during the 90s. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure everybody tells them, you know, all their favorite memories about the monkeys and stuff like that. But I totally swerved him and I brought up the Tick. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, he was really nice. Did you know that he actually screen tested to be the Fawns on Happy Days? No, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, that would have been very, very, very different. It would have been very, very different. Wow. Huh. All right, next up. All right, March 9th, 1940, Raul Julia. Now, you may not recognize his name because he's been gone for a while. He passed away like around 2000 or so. But <clears throat> most folks will know him as Gomez Adams in the two very popular, still streaming everywhere, Adams Family movies. I love both of those so. movies. He, he, he was so good. He was such a great pick to play Gomez yeah. Adams for those movies. I like the second one better yeah, because um, it had a better script. But yeah, it was a fun. Those are fun movies. Yep. And he was in a bunch of other stuff too. So he was in like Kiss of the Spider Woman, which is I think the first time I saw him. Unfortunately, his last role was M. Bison in the uh, horrible Street <laughs> Fighter movie. There's a, there's a little bit of charm in that movie though. Like, you know, he's like, he was dying of cancer when he was filming it. So he's like, I'm going out screaming. <laughs> he like overdid all of his everything in that movie to the to the to maximum hilt. He is in my favorite episode of Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> They're making fun of a movie called Overdrawn at the Memory Banks, which is yep. just a horrific title. Yep. But he plays a guy that's like obsessed with Humphrey Bogart. He actually plays Humphrey Bogart as well. Yep. It's a it's a movie. It's a movie. <laughs> it's that's that's definitely it's a funny episode. episode of that yeah. show. Out of yes. all the movies I've ever seen, that that's one of them. Yeah. Uh, yes. Moving on, uh, the very next day, just uh, just one day later, but the same year. So March the tenth, nineteen forty, beard extraordinaire, internet meme, Chuck Norris. Chuck, wow. Yeah, nineteen forty. Yeah, he's he's a lot older. He's that, and that makes him eighty years old. Eek, caramba. Yeah. I- I'm not going to go do an image search for Chuck Norris at 80 because I know that it'll make me go, oh, we're all going to die. No, he's pretty but, He's pretty much an immortal. He's like one of those people that like reached a certain age and then just stopped. Stopped yeah. aging, yeah. yeah. Well, is, I mean, is he still selling the, the the home gym that you pull your body weight up on? Yeah, with him, him and Christy Brinkley. Yeah, no, I don't think they're selling that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Chuck Norris, yep. Yeah, I think he's more famous for being famous than he is for being Chuck Norris. If you know what I mean, yeah. like the, because uh, yeah. I remember seeing him in a movie called The Octagon when I was a kid. It was like on HBO. It was like it was just like an hour and forty minutes of him fighting ninjas and no no yeah. other plot besides that. 
and then he was on Walker Texas Ranger, and then he just became this like internet meme. Okay, he got his he got his start. He's a karate fighter. Oh, he'll kill you. Yeah, don't don't. Yeah. There's there's no doubt about and, that. Uh, he will kill you. Did his first film in Return of the Dragon, shot in Italy with Bruce Lee, mm-hmm. and he had the climactic fight with Bruce Lee in the Coliseum. Yep. And then kind of went on to great renown in the 70s and 80s as like an American martial arts movie star. Except the movies that he was in were all produced on the super duper cheap. Yep. Except for one. Um, the Octagon? Code of Silence, which was oh. produced. No, <laughs> the Octagon was a cheapo. But Code of Silence was produced by a, like a reputable studio with enough money to pay regular actors to be in it. It was an all right film. Oh. And then he went sank right back down into like Invasion USA and Oof, I remember the that one, one with yeah. the dog and the one where he fights the devil and oh it's just <laughs> <laughs> And then he did Walker Texas Ranger which was a like 10 years of, of him on TV. A million jokes. Uh just real quick, what's your favorite one? What's your favorite Chuck Norris joke? I'll tell you mine yeah. was um was Chuck Norris's tears cure cancer. It's just that Chuck Norris doesn't cry. Do you have a favorite Chuck Norris movie that's not The Octagon? <laughs> I've never seen any others. You should check out Lone Wolf McQuaid. That was a really oh, good one. Oh, I heard of that one, yeah. That was a good one, yeah. That was kind of where Walker, Texas Ranger kind of came from. Oh, really? I, I The only other Chuck Norris movie I saw was a sequel called The Nonagon. <laughs> <laughs> Which for you geometry geeks is a nine seconds. <laughs> Next up, who do you got? We're going to start a run of three writers here. But starting on March 11th in 1952, Douglas Adams, the author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio play, a bunch of different episodes of Doctor Who, the book based on The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio plays, the TV show scripts based on The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio plays as well, mm-hmm. not to mention his other later stuff. The Dirk Gently books, the yeah. Game. They were both pretty good. There's some fun ideas in them that he got to play around with. That's my favorite book from his, though. My favorite book which, of which, all which of the two of the, the Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul is oh, yeah. my favorite Douglas Adams book. He painted yeah. such a great visual picture with the way he wrote. Yeah, I agree. For he wrote for people who are going to listen. Yeah, you know he wrote he like wrote for an audio audience. So you ha- you kind of have to do that. All right. So next up on the twelfth, we have Jack Kerouac, who was born in nineteen twenty two. I will freely admit that I have never read any Kerouac. Uh, most well known for um, the On the Road and Dharma Bombs, which was my favorite of his books. He definitely captured the sort of disaffected late uh, young early adults who don't know where they sort of belong in America at the time he was writing those in like the middle 1950s. He was part of the, the origin of the Beat Generation. So it was like him and Ginsburg and William S. Burroughs and guy with the bookstore, the Lighthouse Bookstore out in San Francisco. Yeah, he's probably the reason why there's so many of those songs from like the late 60s with like like Living Off the Land. Oh, future worst song ever, Me and You and a Dog Named Boo. All that kind of just like traveling with no job kind of a jack. Yeah, kind of it's, kind of thing. yeah, it's it's this sort of weird sort of underground society sort of that's outside the fringes of, of regular society. It's really, they're really, really great mm-hmm. sort of snapshots of, of America at the time. And he's a fantastic to read because his prose is, is accessible, but it's also very, very evocative. Yeah, I love I love Kerouac. He was from Lowell, Mass, which is a you know, sort of hometown hero for us. Although Did he discover Pluto? He did not discover okay, Pluto. Okay. But uh, they've got a memorial to him over at University, yeah, UMass Lowell. And I think you can go and f- like see where he was born or the house that he grew up in and stuff if you're there. So it's, it's kind of cool that, that he has that tie to that city. And it's a, it's a really rough and tumble city, too. So 
So, Hopefully it's not like yeah. that Shakespeare house where nothing is actually... <laughs> <laughs> is that Shakespeare's fork? No, none of these things actually belong here, but this is what he would own if he lived here. Oh, boy. Yeah. All right, who do you got for the 13th? Ah, speaking of uh, writers who aren't Jack Kerouac, 1911, Lafayette Ron Hubbard, known more often to the world as L. Ron Hubbard, a writer of some renown and a creator of religion also of some renown, is born oh. in Tilden, Nebraska. Scientology. So, Scientology. I'm not going to get into the merits of their belief system or whatever, other than to done. say that it sort of <laughs> there are no merits. It, it springs out of his like attempt to sort of cash in on the golden age of social science in the 1950s and 60s with Dianetics, and then that sort of not catching on, and him turning it into a religion after that. But he was like a prolific crazy town, constantly writing pulp fiction writer. He was like the pulp fiction writer that people talk about when they talk about pulp fiction writers. The story is that he used to he had a shed. That he wrote in and he would put a roll of butcher paper up and then the butcher paper would go into his typewriter and he would just type until his story was done on one gigantic long sheet of butcher paper and when it was done he would use scissors to cut it page size by page size and send it out so he wrote westerns he wrote boxing short stories he wrote western short stories he wrote detective short stories he wrote murder short stories he wrote most often science fiction short short stories under tons of different names uh so that he could he could sort of make a living at the penny a word pulps of the 1950s and 1940s 50s and 60s he has some other um less good qualities too like his whole life is like predicated on a whole bunch of things that may or may not be true probably aren't uh, i got into some trouble for shooting uh, an island up from a naval ship did he happen to be flying bridge. over south carolina at one point <laughs> man i'm not really comfortable in this seat yeah Clunk. I said lunch, not launch. Yeah. When it comes to belief systems, I, I'm really kind of uh, a little over analytical than some people. But it's like you look at interviews with L. Ron Hubbard and it's like, okay, this guy made a living being a science fiction writer. And then you look at the like the tenets of Scientology where there's like aliens that like laid babies in volcanoes and then their spawn inhabits and it's like does that not sound like a bad science fiction story to you and you're basing it it, it doesn't the dude was the dude was out there <laughs> only a couple of things become pieces of sort of mass media based on his writing the most notorious of which that isn't a religion is the incredibly terrible film Battlefield Earth which everyone should go and watch I, I'm, I'm telling you it, it's been like at least 20 years <laughs> and I'm still mad at you for making me watch that movie with you I still love that movie as terrible God. as it is although you know what i'll tell you something i think john travolta no matter what movie he's in should have to and this includes battlefield earth should have to say the line hey i spent a lot of time on my hair and you hit it <laughs> i think he should say you're friendly bartender <laughs> in every movie which is a, a really famous line from from battlefield earth uh when i saw i saw i knew battlefield earth was going to be a, a sh- uh, <laughs> difficult watch when I saw it the weekend it opened, and I went with my friend Dan, and we were the only two people in the cinema <laughs> on opening day. And then I went to the mall like the next day, and at remember Suncoast Video, yes. remember that store? Yep. All of their Battlefield Earth stuff was like eighty five percent off <laughs> the weekend the movie opened, and I bought everything I could carry. <laughs> I still have it. I have it downstairs. It bombed so bad that they accidentally <laughs> dropped copies of it in South Carolina. And wrapping up the birthdays, on March the 14th of 1953, a man by the name of Brian Maxwell. Now, Brian Maxwell is the founder of and the inventor of the Power Bar. Uh, he was a Canadian athlete. Uh, when he was a teenager, he was diagnosed with... Uh, when he was a teenager, he was diagnosed with <laughs> a genetic heart condition, right? 
But by the time he was 24, he was the number three marathon runner in the world. So take that, doctors. So yeah, he invented the power bar. And then he died when he was 51 of a heart attack, which is one of those things. But what a... What a full life, you know? You can't, well, you can't yeah. do, they, they tell you you can't do something, and then and he's like, well, F you, I'm going to do it. And he ended up being one of the best at it. Well, I think as someone who has a congenital heart defect mm-hmm. and also ran as part of my recovery from open heart surgery mm-hmm. t- 10 years ago, 11 years ago, they tell you to exercise. At least they do now. Mm-hmm. The doctors are like, go find find one that you like. Go ride a bike, go roller skate, go run outside, go do something. Get your heart rate up every day at 140 beats per minute. Mm-hmm. But I guess that this just shows me that no matter how much I run, no matter what, no matter what I do, this like I have to, you have to stay on top of your health all the time. Right. You know, I'm sure he wasn't like sitting home like, oh, I figured out power bars. Now it's time for me to eat funyuns and watch TV. Right, right, right. You know, I'm sure he wasn't doing that. And when there's something in you that's busted up, it eventually it's going to give out. So my goal is to live long enough so I get a robot heart, yeah. and then I can do this show forever. Oh. We're all on borrowed time, and uh- that's true. And you never know if it's going to be a, a congenital heart defect or an unexploded nuclear bomb that falls through your house. You know what? I, I really like one of my biggest worries in life is or accidentally infuriating Chuck Norris. Yeah, no, one of my biggest Something worries in life is that I, I spend the last few minutes alive listening to the worst song ever. So when we were looking uh, for what was going to be. You know, going forward, what was going to be some of the worst songs ever? You know, last week we were all about doing, you know, D.D. King. And then I was like, well, you know, what do we got coming up? And then Jeff tells me, he's like, well, we don't have to do it this week because we have 13 (laughs) weeks to work with. So one quarter of a year. Think about that. That's that's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 13 weeks, three months out of a year. This song was the number one song in the country. Tell us about it. What year was it first? I think it was 66, right? right? Yeah, 1966. It became a a number one hit and and stayed on the charts for, it stayed at number one for 13 weeks, six weeks at the top of the billboards. It was Billboard single of the year. It stayed in the Hot 100 for like four more weeks after that 13 weeks was over. It's just, it was all over the place. And it's a ballad song. It falls in directly into the poetic form of a ballad. So it's a song that tells a story about a person who accomplishes something or whatever but it follows the format that a ballad has to have it follows the rhyme scheme it follows the syllable count everything it sucks on toes and, and it's just not good it was written by barry sadler and the guy who wrote the book the green berets a guy named robin robin moore who was a journalist but not a green beret who spent time with the green berets in in the field mm-hmm. in vietnam and uh it's uh, it's not a good song. Okay, well, it's just, you haven't even mentioned like who it is or the or the name of the song yet. Oh, <laughs> uh, the song is is called the, ba- the Ballad of the Green Berets, and it's done by uh, Staff Sergeant Barry Sadler. Oh, it's not even That's a band and a musician. It's just like a dude. Yeah, just a dude. And it's like it's it's listed as country folk pop because it it hit all those charts. Oh my god, thirteen weeks at number one, and it's just some dude. My God, yeah. I'd be well. Admittedly, '66 is us in the Vietnam War, like for reals. Yeah, now. I know. But if I was like Paul Revere you know? and the Raiders, I would be bullshit that this guy, <laughs> yeah, just shows up. I mean, listen, let's play a clip. Fighting soldiers from the sky, fearless men who jump and die, men who mean just what they say. The brave men of the Green Beret 
Silver wings upon their chest. All right, that is boring. That is just, yeah. I could choose between that or like putting a fan on for the white noise to, to lull me to sleep. That is just nothing. That's nothing to that. Yeah, it's well, I mean, ultimately it's because it's a ballad and it's a very, very old form of, of sort of musical poetry. But that said, the story that he tells in it is, it's okay. It's the story of a soldier who gets killed, a guy from, from Hawaii, the first soldier that was from Hawaii that got killed in Vietnam. It's just not that interesting. I have a connection to the song. My dad was a Green Beret. He served from 61 to 63 uh-huh. in Vietnam. And he had a visceral hatred of this song and a visceral hatred of Robin Moore, who co-wrote the song with Barry Sadler, uh-huh. because the he's basically said, like, as Green Berets, we're not supposed to talk about what we do. That's the code we have. We don't talk about it. There's this asshole who puts out a record. There's this kid who puts out a book. <laughs> and then they work together and they put out this song. And, it's like uh, the masked magician of Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it sucks. It just sucks. Like, again, it's it's this is almost a novelty song. It, it You know, it is a novelty song. Because Sadler never managed to do anything else after this. He did a bunch of cover songs right. on his other records. I don't know that he wrote anything else that was uh, that that did anything. He never charted again. I mean, it's a and, novelty uh, song in the in the sense that it's a novelty. But generally speaking, whenever you hear the term novelty music, you think that the song is like funny. This isn't funny. It, it sort of falls into the same sort of, if you make a Venn diagram of, of kind of folk songs, though, is it sort of falls in like around, it's the same time, too, as like Johnny Cash's song about John Henry, the steel driving man. It's the same same couple of years as this song was out. I, th- I think that was like 64, 65. Big John. And was Big John around that Big sometime? John. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly the same time. There's definitely a, a, a vein of this stuff that runs through popular music in the 60s still. Mm. And as you, that's coming out of the 50s folk tradition and then goes into the 70s singer-songwriter tradition. So it, it just finds the right place at the right time to be something that just blows up, ends up all over the place, you know. I think the, the movie, The Green Berets, came out like the next year. And it was featured as the theme song of that movie, too, which helped keep it in the public consciousness. That's the John Wayne movie based on, on uh, Robin Moore's book. So, again, it was this weird convergence of events that made this song really popular well, and made my dad really hate well, it. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, in, in 2021, this song is a suckathon. Yeah, it sucks. Yep. All right, we'll wrap up the show, but first, the answer to the trivia question. The trivia question was, which land animal has the largest eyeballs? The land animal... With the, I think this is going to be a deceptive question because I'm going to guess it's not the largest land animal. It also has the largest eyeballs. No. Is the animal with the largest eyeballs Marty Feldman? Ooh, solid guess. Solid, solid guess. No, it is not Marty Feldman. Uh, it is the largest land bird that has the largest eyeballs, the ostrich. The ostrich has the largest ah. eyeballs of any other land animal on this planet or any other that we know about. Yeah, it's it's eyeballs are actually larger than its own brain. And I actually, I know a few humans like that as well, I think, anyway. <laughs> well, I'm usually just bigger than my yeah, stomach, yeah. but, you know. Oh, ha, ha. Yep. Ostrich. Hu- Huge-ass eyeballs, cool. yep. Huge-ass eyeballs. So I know that if I ever find myself in a fight with an ostrich, I want it to be, yep. I want to blindfold the ostrich first. All right, so that's going to wrap up the show for this week. Have a good week, everyone. We'll see you around Uranus, I guess. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> All right. Yep. Uh, going to put a ring on it. Make some point look behind me. Yes. <laughs> I liked Uranus uh, so much, I put a ring on it. What well, the hell? Well, by Uranus was discovered in 50- You can hear the show just going... Like... 
It's like, just like the song. Like we were dropping, we we're going to drop this episode right on top of South Carolina. All right. Yeah. You can hear it. All right. Say goodnight, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook and Instagram at Twibly or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. They probably need a cool podcast to listen to as well. And if you don't like this week's episode, there'll be one next week and it'll probably be better. <laughs>